In February 2014, cameramen and photographers massed outside the old Bailey. Suddenly, the annex was busy again, with glamorous TV news anchors and foreign reporters swelling the ranks of bloggers and court reporters. Rebecca Brooks, former head of News International and uncrowned Queen of Fleet Street, was unequivocally a crowd puller. Along with Millie Dowler, she was the iconic image of the hacking scandal. Little of this had to do with evidence, and much to do with her personality, and the optics of the media she'd done so much to shape. So much hinged on her appearance in the witness box, you can understand why, even after two years waiting, she needed extra preparation. But, before books even entered the witness box, there were two interesting bits of information that after weeks of legal wrangling, could finally be entered into evidence. The first was the Plan B, email Brooks sent to James Murdoch, which planned to slam the outgoing editor of the News of the World, Colin Myler, and a senior News Corps executive for the failures of governance and cover-up at the defunct Sunday tabloid. The judge ruled that it was relevant. Sources close to News International at the time informed me that this slamming had indeed taken place in some newspapers the day after the email was sent. A second email was more explosive. This was the now famous email from Brooks to James Murdoch, relaying an hour-long conversation she had had with Tony Blair after the announcement of the closure of News of the World. According to her account, the Labour politician had suggested she set up a Hutton-style report, shared by a major figure like Lord MacDonald, the former director of public prosecutions, which would clear her. Blair also offered to act as an unofficial adviser to James and Rupert Murdoch. Initially, Laidlaw had objected to any of the email being adduced because of the unfair impact it would have. Though he conceded that James Murdoch's response to Brooks what are you doing on email, was relevant and admissible. For Edith and the prosecution, the document was relevant because it showed Brooks's state of mind as she tried to manage the unfolding crisis. Laidlaw protested that any mention of Tony Blair would cause enormous media comment and adverse publicity that will divert the jury from the issues which they have to consider and may well be prejudicial to her case. Justice Saunders ruled some of the emails should be released, but left it up to Laidlaw and Edis to decide which parts. To everyone's surprise, Brooks's defence team suddenly ditched all their objections, and the day before she was due to arrive in the witness box, said the whole email should be released, creating exactly the kind of publicity predicted. The next morning, after Blair's office released a statement saying he was just trying to help a friend, Laidlaw was back on his feet, complaining about prejudicial comment from a senior politician. Justice Saunders said Blair's office should be contacted immediately to prevent any more comments on an ongoing trial. There was a pause. Perfect comic timing. Brooks piped up from the dock. I have his number. So the Brooks team were ultimately responsible for the release of the whole Blair email. But why?